strategist cowboy. In the Nordic mythology, the gods drank beer, which is spelled B-I-O-R and pronounced beer, beer. And the common deadly people drank alu. From alu comes the word öl, which means beer and is pronounced like the word early if you remove the letters r and y Earl. and of course not much imagination is needed to connect the word alu with the word ale i'm sure that the wiser vikings weighed advantages and downsides to drinking mjöd i.e beer before a battle the raiding viking could be either totally sober and have his reflexes intact. Or he could drink one beer and be more relaxed before a raid and maybe become a little more fearless. But if you cannot accomplish fearlessness with one beer, then you wouldn't be helped to drinking by drinking two beers. Which do you think serve them better? Complete soberness or a relaxed mind? because there sure as hell weren't anything to gain by being drunk. But then there is the matter of what you prefer. I think most of them preferred one beer before going into battle. Unless, of course, you're going berserk, because then you would be better off with several beers. For this Viking battle, I'm going to set up a Norwegian Ipa beer against a Swedish Ipa beer. The Norwegian Ipa beer sort was pretty much the only choice of Norwegian Ipa beer in the state-controlled Systembolaget in Lund, Sweden. I didn't look that thoroughly. But the Swedish Ipa beer sort was randomly chosen and quick among many, many microbrewery choice of Ipa beer sorts from Sweden in Systembolaget, or chosen only based on how interesting its exterior looks like. The Norwegian Ipa sort is brewed by Oslo-based Amundsen Brewery, who in 2011 started a production in a small scale. Today they are one of the fastest growing craft breweries in the Nordic countries. The Norwegian beer sort, which I will drink and review on this show, is called Apocalyptic Thunder Juice. It has a 6.5% ABV. The ingredients are water, malted barley, malted wheat, oats, lactose, hops and yeast. The can contains 33 centiliter beer or about 11 liquid ounces. This little sucker costs about 3 American dollars, so it's not cheap. It could be served at 8 to 10 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 46 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. How about the experience then?
Got a, it's, it's got a distinct taste as uh, aroma of uh, citrus peel like uh, well um, it's it's a very good nice aroma it's got a not very large head but it's completely adequate and it's not clear at all I cannot see my fingers through, through the glass not one bit almost only some faint shadow of, of them but it's an ale, so it's okay. It for sure has a uh, lemon taste. Lemons aroma and lemon taste. normal bitterness I think at least for uh, an IPA beer very fruity well it's slightly peppery, like uh, not much. It's a very good beer. So what grade do I give it? Well, let me think a minute. I think it's the damn best, the best IPA beer I have ever drunk. But to be honest, I have not drunk many sorts of IPA beer or brands of IPA beer. I like uh, Belgian uh, ale better in general but this one is very good i don't think um it's not very striking the abv alcohol volume by volume it's not very striking in your appear in, in my appearance it, it's like um it's uh, blended for some reason It doesn't taste weak at all, but it's the the alcohol. It's just part of the sensation, and that's good. Beer should be that way, like alcohol is part of the sensation, but not the whole sensation, because because if it was only alcohol that ma that mattered, you could drink any beer, at, at whatever beer you would like to drink. It wouldn't matter, but this one is very good.
I'm gonna buy this bear again. I'm gonna buy more of it, but it's expensive, it is. I actually graded 10 out of 10 possible, 10 devils out of 10 possible. And with no hesitance, because it's, it's such a good beer. Only it's expensive, but it's worth it. If, you, if you're only going to drink a few beers, two or three maybe, then it's definitely worth it, I think. It's under 100 kronas or something. The second Viking contestant is a Swedish IPA beer sort called Indian Tribute from Optigord's Brewery. I picked it at random, i.e. I liked the style of the label. But when I got home and looked it up on the internet, it turned out that it was the perhaps number one IPA beer sort as far as it comes to distribution of beer sorts on tap to the local pubs across the country. Indian Tribute is the beer sort which has won the, the most gold medals in Sweden. Through the years, Oppigods with Indian Tribute have received seven gold, one silver and three bronze. But does that mean that the beer sort Indian Tribute really is the best Swedish IPA beer sort? And how good is the best, within quotation marks, Swedish IPA? Is it all that? My expectations are not high. Good. Then I could be positively surprised. I love these low expectation starting blocks. The ingredients are water, pilsner malt and caramel malt. Well, that's it. It has got a 6.6% ABV. The beer bottle contains 33 centiliter beer or about 11 liquid ounces. This IPA beer sort costs 33 cents under 3 American dollars. So it's not a very cheap beer either. But for an IPA beer sort here in Sweden, it's kind of cheap. How about the experience then? This is much more clearer than the previous uh, beer, Norwegian beer. I can see my fingers through the glass. It's a little bit um, darker in uh, in color, uh, almost amber or something like that, amber-like style. And you can see your, finger, your fingers through the glass. It's a good color. It doesn't smell much of uh, um, it doesn't smell much of uh, uh, lemon peel or anything like that. 
it's a more um, regular ice beer, perhaps you could say. Right. It's not got a very large head. The head is not particularly large. Or high. It's kind of small, but it looks good. And then uh, it's pleasant to look at this beer when poured. Even though the head isn't that big. If if uh, the lad, the former beer sort from Norway, if it had um, a lemon peel taste and aroma, this one has no uh, aroma of orange or lemon peel, but it's got a taste of orange peel. And um, the um, carbonation level in both this one and the former one is uh, normal. A little bit less in opigords than in um, the Norwegian IPA sort, apocalyptic thunder juice. Opigords is uh, maybe a little bit more mainstream. I wouldn't. Um, uh, it's wrong to say that, but uh, it's a more normal taste. Even though um, the Amundsen beer tastes, uh, I think, a little bit better than this one. But I, I'll come to grading in a minute. Both beers are rich. This is only uh, 0.1% ABV stronger than the Norwegian beer. I like it a lot. It's a common day beer, good beer, common day good beer, not just common day beer like if you were drinking some uh, Budweiser or something. It's not Budweiser at all. This is much, much, much better than any mainstream beer, actually. But it, compared to the Norwegian beer, the Norwegian was a little bit more in my taste. But it depends on what, I think it depends on what your taste is. What your taste buds can uh, distinguish between us and such. I have to say, even though I bashed uh, Swedish beer before, I have to say that uh, this uh, craft brewery beer, Oppigords, it will get a 9 out of 10 devils from me. 9 devils out of 10 possible devils. 
Maybe I'm I should drink more Swedish IPA beer than I usually do. And not more, but uh, drink them them uh, a little bit more often than I used to. And I used to not drink them at all. I'm positively surprised about this beer. It's it's good. It's a very good beer. But the Norwegian one was slightly better. Thank you. And um, absolutely don't drink and operate heavy machines, military or civilian. Drink responsibly or not at all. Don't drink at all if you're underage or pregnant. Thank you. This week's tactical lesson. Assaulting directly towards an enemy over an open field. There is much that, one, that can be said about advancement during enemy fine caliber fire and sometimes even large caliber fire without having any visual contact with the opponent. Being shot at by an opponent who has made himself invisible is usually the first contact an inexperienced officer and his squad had with the enemy. At least it was like that in Afghanistan, and it can paralyze the officer who often does not know what to do, and therefore they tend to crouch down and do nothing with their squad, and shoot at random until they come to think of better solutions or the opponent gets tired of firing at them. In Afghanistan, the solution was often to call in American attack aircraft, so-called CAS, close air support, when the distances were a little longer. It is unfortunate that Mujahideen understood how to use his longer range for Kalashnikov's 7.62mm caliber against AK-5C 5.56mm caliber. I just want to say that you should defini definitely not advance as long as you do not see from where you are fired at. Not if you would only do three seconds of jump marches over open fields. Not even with machine gun coverage. Beca because it is a pretty sure way to get killed unnecessarily. You should seek coverage until you have ascertained from which direction the fine caliber fire is coming when it is relative close near, relatively close near. Then make up a plan which preferably does not involve short jump marches and in the intervals throwing yourself down in the di direction of the opponent on the machine gun coverage. But if you still have to advance with short jump marches, then the machine gun operator should know what he is shooting at. And you should, you should know what you are shooting at in the short time you lie down. And if you do not know where the enemy is, then you should not continue the attack. But then the officer should give the order for an ordered retreat, the most appropriate way out or rather reorganize the attack from the beginning. That is not to say that you should act cowardly when you have something to gain from acting. Act by sticking your head up in the line of fire 
and scouting so that you can take necessary action quickly. It is not enough that one man sticks his head up once. You just should not waste your ammunition on an enemy you cannot see. This also somewhat applies to a machine gun. If you can, you should make a double flanking grip, alt a partial assault in the rear of the enemy squad, alt both, through a flanking with the detached squads. It would be very helpful if our squad's fighting vehicles get IR sensors so that they can quickly determine exactly from where that automatic fire is coming. Maybe combined and synchronized with a heavy machine gun on the vehicle so that an infantry attack never needs to be carried out. To what extent should one really hold in with one's fire and be stingy on one's ammunition? And when should one fire away to achieve a suppressing effect in a given combat scenario? The individual learned this in Afghanistan. Educators must be aware that guys and girls who, because of nervousness, fires away at an unnecessary high rate in a skirmish are a risk factor, especially among greenies. I mean that this must be expressed in words already in the training camp. That is not to say that it should be overemphasized, but it should be taught. Most often the situation resolves itself with the rate of ammunition consumption without the commander having to steer it up, I would think. But a certain individual tactical mind is required, even for non-officers, as one must have check on the surrounding landscape. I know that in foreign armed forces it is a constant recurring problem that the soldiers fire away their ammunition too fast when they end up in an unprepared situation. They run out of ammunition and machine gun barrels become crooked. We can take the case with the Russians inside a Finnish Moti. The Russians were tricked into firing at what they did not see. They were left to boil, as it was called. We can take the case with the Americans in Vietnam, who fired at what they could not see when they were ambushed. It could be solved with the commanding officer conveying a few words in the helmet communication system, depending on the situation, e.g. short fire, where one is expected to aim carefully, alt medium fire, alt suppressing fire, immediately followed by a directive or a follow-up order, if the commander gets a better overlook than his soldiers. The soldiers then decide for themselves whether to fire single action or triple action fire, depending on the situation and personal situation. Of course, there are situations when this is not applicable or necessary, e.g. in the case of a surprising assault where clo very close to your platoon slash squad. But it, as it is today in many armed forces, you often end up in situations where the commander has to choose between passing the directive, hold your fire, 
or passing the directive fire at will. But these are not sufficient options. More, read three options are needed. And these commands must be conveyed in the beginning of the battle through short directives that everyone understands the meaning of. Of course, it should be possible to change the current, the, the current directive during the course of the battle, depending on the task at hand. And it should be possible to split up the platoon, e.g. to flank the enemy with one group. But if one is to split up the platoon to make a flanking assault, then it is not necessary that the groups are geniuses for them to understand that now the directive does not apply to the flanking group. But it is then conceivable that the commander gives directives to the first group that remains at the place of firing by saying Group 1 suppressing fire to protect the flanking group. It is stupid to charge at anyone in a frontal assault who are dug in or fortified and are firing at you, even with machine gun support. In addition, if the opponent knows what they are doing, you may be exposed to mortar fire from a different angle or from behind the opponent's firing position. Or you may be exposed to crossfire. Or you trample on in a new minefield. Or all three. Thanks. Oh, thank you.